0: Ready? Our evening began in Peter Sechel's comfortable study in his New York townhouse.
1: Hello there, everybody. My name is Jim Shear, and welcome to the official, unofficial, Beastie Boys Ill Communication Silver Anniversary Special. It's hard to believe, but we have to accept it because it's true. The Beastie Boys Ill Communication is 25 years old. And on this Silver Anniversary Special, I will go track by track... We will talk about the production of this album, its artwork, its music videos, its lasting impact. But before we do all of that, let's go back. May 31st, 1994. I was a few weeks removed from my freshman year of college. I was back in Pittsburgh working at McDonald's for the summer. I made sure to request off for May 31st because I knew the Beastie Boys would be dropping their brand new album. Our record store opened at 9, I got there at 8.50, and I was sad when I saw that there was one person waiting in front of the record store doors. I, I wasn't sad because there weren't more people, I was sad because I wasn't first in line. And I sighed to myself, well, maybe I'm not the biggest Beastie Boys fan in Shaler Township. So 10 minutes later, the doors open. This guy goes to the counter, and I'm like, eh, he's going to get a copy of the Beastie Boys' brand new album. And he asks, do you guys have any Dave Matthews tickets? And I thought, ooh, maybe I am the biggest Beastie Boys fan in Shaler Township. As he was getting his Dave Matthews tickets, I was looking around the record store, and I couldn't find ill communication anywhere. And I thought, why isn't there a, a big display right as the doors open? So I go to the clerk, and I say, Do you have the Beastie Boys brand new album? He shrugs his shoulders. He looks around and he says, oh, oh, here it is. And he opens up a brand new box of ill communication. It wasn't even on the shelves yet. So I got the tape because I was rocking the cassette back in 1994. Tore it open and uh, was thrilled to find a green cassette. This was unique in 1994 because I was used to the clear cassettes. So I pop it into my tape deck, and the first thing I hear is a dog saying, I love you. (laughs) Now keep in mind, in 1994, we did have the internet, but we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have Instagram. Yet, we did have these word-of-mouth viral sensations. In the early 90s, uh, we would pass around Jerky Boys cassettes. That was our form of viral entertainment back in the day. And then if you watch the news... Every so often, they would show this dog that could bark or whimper, I love you. So I thought it was funny and clever and kind of tongue in cheek that the Beastie Boys would choose to open up their brand new album with the I love you dog. So after that sample, I hear a flute loop, the Beastie Boys start rhyming, and I am instantly blown away. All right, so let's break down sure Shot." On this track, the Beastie Boys are showing off their deep record collection. So yes, the Beastie Boys sample a lot, but they usually don't sample from stuff that we've heard. SureShot samples the track Howlin' For Judy from flutist Jeremy Stieg. And just think, if the Beastie Boys weren't avid record collectors, they would have never stumbled upon that song. And did you know that Jeremy Steig? and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, it's spelled S-T-E-I-G, so I guess it could be Stieg or Steig. Years later, he was the Pied Piper in the Shrek movie, Shrek Ever After. So they bring him in, they have him do his original Howlin' Judy riff, and then it leads into you-know-what.
0: You call this guy a bounty hunter? What's he gonna do,
1: flute those ogres a lullaby?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What? Oh, no,
1: oh, oh! Okay,
0: got it!
1: See, I thought it was cool just hearing the Beastie Boys in a Shrek movie, but then when you find out that they got the original flutist of the short shot loop, it makes it even cooler. So let's go back to the beginning of the song. The Beastie Boys are piecing it together. They've got this flute loop. They're feeling a vibe, but they can't come up with the hook. So when in doubt, who do you call? You call DJ Hurricane. Now, DJ Hurricane claims that the Beastie Boys called him at 4 a.m. in the morning. The Beastie Boys claim that they called Hurricane at 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm assuming Beastie Boys are West Coast, Hurricanes East Coast. Whatever the case, they call him up in the middle of the night... They play him the song, and they say, we, we, we need a hook for this. So Hurricane comes up with the, you can't, you won't, and you don't stop. Mike D, come and rock the shore shot. And when you hear Hurricane say, Mike D, ad rock, MCA, come and rock the shore shot, that's him on the telephone delivering the hook. Now, after the fact, we discover that it seems like DJ Hurricane was inspired by the Run DMC song Rock the House. Because within that song, we hear the You Can't, You Won't, and You Don't Stop. We hear the term Sure Shot. And like we hear at the end of Sure Shot, they shout out the B Boys and B Girls of the world. B-boy. Now, some of you might be unimpressed right now, thinking that Hurricane bit from Run DMC. But the thing is, Hurricane is also from Hollis, Queens. And a handful of years ago, I was speaking with Daryl McDaniels, and he told me Hurricane is the reason that he wanted to rap. And I said, really? And he said, yes, Hurricane was an MC. He inspired me to become a rapper. So if it wasn't for Hurricane... Maybe DMC never becomes a rapper. And if he never becomes a rapper, then we don't have Run DMC. So I think it's totally fine if DJ Hurricane wants to borrow from Run DMC. And then we can't go on to track 2 before we talk about MCA's third verse in this song. When the great Adam Yauch passed away in 2012, everyone pointed to this one verse.
0: I can't say, I feel
1: The These lyrics were so important because it was proof that your favorite musician could change. They could grow up because it was only eight years prior when the Beastie Boys were rapping lines like this.
0: Go. To do the dishes, Go. To clean up my room, Go.
1: To do the laundry, Go. And in the bathroom. Go. So in Short Shot... The Beastie Boys pulled the 180, and in the Beastie Boys book, original Beastie Boys member Kate Schellenbach, who was kind of pushed out of the band, said that these lyrics went a long way for her. So now we move on to track number two on ill communication, Tough Guy. So a few months before Ill Communication came out, the Beastie Boys released a compilation album of their old punk material called Some Old Bullshit. So this sort of paved the way for songs like Tough Guy and Heart Attack Man on Ill Communication. And I like that this is a punk rock basketball song. Because if you go back and listen to some of the most memorable basketball songs, you have Basketball from Curtis Blow. Basketball is my favorite And then in 1993, a year before Ill Communication comes out, Belle Biv DeVoe gives us this. And you would think, hard. for a song about basketball, the Beastie Boys would stay in the hip-hop lane. They don't. They flip the script, and they give us a punk rock song. So Tough Guy leads into track number three on Ill Communication, B-Boy's Making with the Freak Freak. And back in 1994, the only thing people wanted to talk about regarding the song was its mashed potato sample. We were debating, is, is that Richard Pryor? Is that Red Fox? Turns out it is Mantan Moreland from his skit, French girl.
2: She said, pardon monsieur." while I go into the kitchen and fuck the chicken.
0: <laughs> he looked around at his buddy and said, shit, if this is gonna be that kind of party, I'm gonna stick my dick in the mashed potatoes. So from
1: 1994 until the end of the decade, whenever mashed potatoes were served at dinner, you could bet that there was some Gen X kid who was ready to recite this sample. So not only does B-Boy's Making with the Freak Freak show off the Beastie Boys' deep comedy knowledge, but it also shows off their deep hip-hop knowledge because it samples the song Beat Bop from Ramal Z and K-Rob.
2: I like a dip Star rank Star with the damn, damn dip, 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 Jam y'all. I like B-Boy with the B-Boy with
1: the The Beastie Boys went deep on this hip-hop classic, which was given to us in 1983. Because not only is Beat Bop from Ram LZ and K-Rob over 10 minutes long, but you don't hear the term B-Boys making with the Freak Freak until verse number five. So now we go into track number four, Bobo on the Corner. And this is basically a jam out. I think of this as a transitional track that leads us into Root Down. And if you don't know, this is how the Beastie Boys, for the most part, would record their live cuts. They would go into a studio, Mario C would hit the record button, and then the Beastie Boys would just play. And then they would revisit these tapes, and they would either cut up what they already recorded, or if they liked something, they would refine it. And I think this is just a jam out with Eric Bobo, who was playing percussion for the Beastie Boys at the time, going nuts on his drums. And then later, we would lose Eric Bobo to Cypress Hill, and then Fredo would enter the Beastie fold. And like I said, to me, I think of Bubble on the Corner as a perfect intro into Root Down. I put my root down. I can get root down. i put my root down. So the Beastie Boys, unlike, say, MC Hammer, are very creative with their samples. They'll take a little piece here, a little bit there. They'll piece it together, speed it up, slow it down. Uh, but they did fest... That on Root Down, they basically just took Jimmy Smith's Root Down and rhymed on top of it. So here is the original Root Down and then in parentheses and get it from Jimmy Smith off his 1972 album, Root Down. And the Beastie Boys version of Root Down would eventually become the final single off of Ill Communication. And in 1995, it even got its own EP, the Root Down EP. And we can all agree, as Beastie Boys fans, that this was an experience to hear live. Especially when the Beastie Boys would do the weave. Alright, and that will lead us into the you could you could call this the crown jewel of ill communication although you could argue that sure shot is the crown jewel but it leads us into the biggest hit off of ill communication the one the only
2: sabotage ah!
1: Now, if you are a Beastie Boys fan, you've heard the story of "Sabotage." You've heard me tell the story of "Sabotage." So why don't we just listen to the Beastie Boys tell us the story of "Sabotage" from their "Ill Communication" audio commentary?
0: That song was something that we started playing at uh, a Tin Pan Alley, and this dude, the dude who owned the place, Chris, used to keep on running into the room. Like he would, he would always say to us, "Like you should just." just think about whatever you're really into you know like whatever you're really into just think about that and then play music so this one day we were messing around with this these riffs on uh, sabotage and he comes running into the room and says that's it that's what I'm talking about this is so exactly then, what you guys should be doing so then we called this on the working title was Chris Rock on yeah. this cut because she was so amped up on it and then later Adam put vocals on it when we were back in LA and Actually, it was interesting because it was much, it, like we had a lot of other stuff done, if I remember right, on the album by the time then Adam added the vocals to it. Yeah, like it was, like it was the a little last later thing, the, the, on. F- the last take, I think, that you did to the vocals was one of the last things you did. Maybe last thing. yeah.
1: So it was kind of like one of the first started, last finished type joints. But before we move on, let's consult Beastie Scripture, Beastie Boys' book, released in 2018. Mike D. writes, One day early in the process, we were about to start working, and Yauk starts playing this incredible bass line on his vintage Fender jazz bass. I remember it vividly because I immediately asked him, What song is that from? It sounded so good that I felt like it must already be somebody else's. Turned out it wasn't. He'd just come up with it. So I started playing drums, and this double beat break was the first thing I came up with. Those two elements are what you hear at the beginning of Sabotage. We wrote the rest of the music in a matter of hours. Horovitz added those great simple guitar parts. We recorded it at the end of the day or first thing the next morning. And then Ad-Rock writes, I vaguely remember Yalk wanting to keep it just as an instrumental. We tried to make it a rap song, and the hook was a scratched-in sample of Queen Latifah saying, Get it live, all right. Let, let's listen to that snippet and see if we could imagine Sabotage, including this sample.
2: Queen of
0: the, posse, the GLA, which is... Live, live, right, right, right. there,
1: Ad Rock continues, up. would have been nice for a different track. This one called for some good old-fashioned screaming, for sure. We'd been in the studio every night for so long, making Ill Communication and Check Your Head, and we were totally indecisive about what, when, how, and why to complete songs. Mario was getting frustrated. That's a really calm way of saying that he would just blow a fuse and get pissed off at us and scream that we needed to just finish something. Anything. A song. He would push awful instrumental tracks we'd made just to have something moving toward completion. Eventually, we brought the music back to G-Sun. Now, keep in mind, the Beastie Boys tracked all of their instruments in New York City. And Ad-Rock writes, And that's where we finished the songs that we're going to be on our next record, Ill Communication. But there was that one track left, Chris Rock. It had to be dealt with. I decided it would be funny to write a song about how Mario was holding us all down, how he was trying to mess it all up, sabotaging our great works of art. So one night, I went to Mario's house, and he recorded me screaming words into a microphone over that track All about some mysterious thorn in my side, the ubiquitous biters and the haters. So it turns out that the thorn in the side was producer Mario C. On to track number seven, get it together.
0: One, two, one, two, keep it on. Listen to the shit because we keep it till dawn. Listen to the ass track, got it going on. Listen to the
1: I may be speaking out of turn here, but is this the best one, two, three punch in Beastie Boys history? Root down into sabotage and to get it together? Are you kidding me? Uh, now, this song features Q-Tip, who was a frequent visitor to the Beastie Boys' G-Sun Studios. Because if you don't know, the Beastie Boys had a, uh, a recording studio in Atwater Village out in California. They had a, um, a skateboard half pipe. They had a half-court basketball hoop. And Q-Tip and Africa from the Jungle Brothers would frequent the G-Sun. And I think the Beastie Boys wanted to work with Q-Tip, and I don't know if he was ready yet. But at one point, they play him this beat, and then he was like, yeah, I'm ready to do something. So they hand him a mic, and he basically just freestyles a whole bunch of rhymes. So the Beastie Boys take those rhymes, and then they piece them together with their own rhymes... And they give us, in my opinion, the all-time great get-it-together. So my question is, late in the song, Q-tip freestyles, I'm like, Ma Bell, I got the ill-communication. Ma Bell,
0: got the ill-communication. Ma Bell, got the ill-communication. Ma Bell, got the ill-communication.
1: Ill Ill yeah. So that's the, the second time we hear ill-communication on the album, because we also hear it at the tail end of Sure Shot. So did Q-tip come up with the title, Ill Communication, or did the Beastie Boys? Because if Q-Tip's just going off from the top of the dome, maybe he comes up with Ill Communication. The Beastie Boys like that. And then throughout the album, they splash in Ill Communication and Ma Bell references. I don't know. That's that's a question for Q-Tip. So after getting smacked in the face with those three hits, we gotta cool it down right now with track number eight, Sabrosa. And this became a live staple during the ill communication era. You know, after all the kids were moshing and jumping up and down for the hip hop tracks, they needed a break. So this was a a timeout during Beastie Boys live shows. And they did switch it up a little bit live because Ad-Rock started adding vocals. You know, you can't stop, you won't quit. So it played well when the Beastie Boys did it live. And then Sabrosa leads into track number nine, The Update. See, See, I always thought that Ad-Rock was saying Children of the Earth, but it turns out that the Beastie Boys sampled Children of the Earth Flames from John Clemmer. And then the update brings us to track number 10, Futterman's Roll. So it is no secret that around this time, Adam Yauch is dipping his feet into Buddhist culture, and he's looking at spirituality in a whole new way. So I remember reading the liner notes of Ill Communication, and Futterman's Role, it's, it's an instrumental, so why would it have any lyrics written down? But there, there's a quote, and it says, When two are served, you may begin to eat. And 19 year old me thought, wow, that's probably you know something they practice in Buddhist culture. It's the complete opposite. Growing up in New York City, Adam Yauk had family friends whose last name was Futterman. Gene Futterman was the dad and I guess he got impatient when people were being served dinner. He's like, listen, when two are served, you may begin to eat. I thought that the, the way I originally pictured it you have two people sitting together at a table, someone gets served their dinner and they start eating it and I thought it was this Buddhist philosophy, no, 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 no. When two are served, then you may begin to eat. But if you look at it in another way, eight people around the dinner table, everyone can't wait to eat, two people get their food and Gene Futterman says, yeah, you can eat now because if you wait until all eight people are served, the food's gonna get cold. So, not a Buddhist philosophy, just practical thinking from Gene Futterman of New York City. So, if you were listening to Ill Communication on cassette, like I was in 1994... After Futterman's role, this is where you would flip the tape over. And speaking of that tape, I listened to that tape so much in the summer of 1994. Uh, When it was time to go back to college, the track listing completely wore off from both sides of the tape. So I went back to my sophomore year of college with just this green cassette. So take the tape out, flip it over, time for the B-side of ill communication. And remember... Back in the day, you had to come strong on Side 2 and Side B. The Beastie Boys chose to open up Side B with... All right, Here, this. A weeks, you know, a sheep, like, like a handful of songs on Ill Communication and some songs from the Beastie Boys' previous album, Check Your Head. This was recorded with their Sony Variety karaoke mic. And even though producer Mario C. gave the Beastie Boys this microphone, I think it caused some contention during the recording process. Because Mario C. wanted to record it clean, and he's like, if you want it distorted, we can distort it later. But the Beastie Boys are like, no, we want to record it distorted right off the bat. And when you record it distorted, there is no turning back. Now, at the beginning of the song, the Beastie Boys sample the television show Graffiti Rock from Michael Holman.
0: All right, he's scratching it right now. Cutting the record back and forth against the needle. Back and forth, back and forth. And
1: I don't know if any of you caught the Beastie Boys audio commentary for Ill Communication when they remastered the album a decade ago, but um, I just love hearing the Beastie Boys banter with each other. MCA says that he was walking with his dad in the city, and they ran into Michael Holman. And then uh, here's what happened. And I just love the reaction of the Beastie Boys.
0: But you know what's funny? I was walking down Eighth uh, Street. No, it was Prince Street. Walking on Prince Street with my dad, Michael Holman walks by, and he just, as he's passing me, he goes, "Yo, be careful with your dad's turntable." <laughs> he said that? He did not say that. Very That's clever. Cool. So I give him. I give him. Props for that. You said, Yo, what's up with my dad? You want to talk shit about my dad? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I miss having those three guys in a room together. And that leads us into track number 12 on Ill Communication Eugene's Lament. Who is the Eugene lamenting in this song? That is Eugene Gore, the violinist that went to school with Eric Bobo. And according to Mario C, this was just a one-minute jam out that the Beastie Boys chopped up and made a little longer. And it definitely has a vibe, doesn't it? There, There is no other song like this in the Beastie Boys canon, Eugene's Lament. And that leads us into track number 13, Flute Loop, which samples Flute Thing from Al Cooper's The Blues Project. Loop also gets the Sony Variety mic treatment and it became a live staple from the Beastie Boys from 94 until the end of the decade. And, the of of and that brings us to track number 14, Do It. Do Brian. Oh let's do do Oh let's do oh, let's do This song includes one of my favorite Ad-Rock and MCA verses. So I love when MCA does this. And it's undeniable when Ad-Rock raps this. This is the second album in a row that the Beastie Boys would work with Biz Marquee. And if you've read the Beastie Boys book or if you've listened to the audio commentary for Ill Communication, they will talk about Biz Marquee showing up to the studio wanting candy. And then in the early hours of the morning, he would also want to go to 7-Eleven and, and feast on burritos and a, a variety of soft drinks. I'm gonna say a few things about the song. It was performed live, uh, and then the Beastie Boys actually brought it back during the mix-up era, when they were just playing instruments. Billy Joel is referenced on the track, and then curiously, a year later, when the Beastie Boys were out on their quadraphonic stereo tour, Billy Joel was the cover boy on their tour magazine, and they even called him the fifth member of the Beastie Boys. And then during the Hello Nasty era, the Beastie Boys would cover Billy Joel's song, Big Shot. So, do the Beastie Boys like Billy Joel? Did they ever catch him at the garden? Moving on to track number 15, Ricky's Theme. An ode to the Rickster, the Beastie Boys' tour photographer... And he got other titles too as the years progressed. King of the flickeroni and the invisible jazz cigarette. Yeah, Ricky's theme. So smooth, right? And like they did on Saturday Night Live, Ricky's theme leads into track number 16 Heart Attack Man. So at the end of this song, we get to hear the lovely voice of Tim Summer again.
0: Ah, what do we know about partying or anything else?
1: And we became familiar with that voice because he leads off the Beastie Boys' some old bullshit compilation album.
2: Anyway, this is Noise the Show. I'm Timmy Summer. There was a really great show last night down and down, down somewhere.
1: So I met Tim Summer a couple of years ago, and I said, Did the Beastie Boys contact you about using your voice in two of their albums? And he said no. And for a second, he thought about calling a lawyer, but he's like, you know what? No. It's it's a loving tribute to the scene they grew up in in New York City. So he is honored that he is immortalized on two Beastie Boys albums. Uh, I like that it's a hardcore song that also samples Sucker MCs from Run DMC.
0: Take that and move back. Catch a heart attack. Because
1: now, legend has it that this song is about Sean Callahan, friend of Bob Mack, a writer, and for a short time he was the editor-in-chief of the Beastie Boys Grand Royal magazine. Apparently, when the Beastie Boys had their Atwater Basketball Association games in the G-Sun studio, uh, Sean would play a little bit rough. And sometimes I think he would smoke while playing. So not only is this the second hardcore song on Ill Communication, but it's the second hardcore song about bad basketball etiquette. And shout out to MCA, because he went to town on the bass in this song. Sounds like a swarm of bumblebees. And we move on to track number 17, The Scoop. This song has a few samples in it. Jacob Slatter from Cedar Walton. Atma Tomorrow from Michael Urbaniac's Fusion. And Tough. From Curtis Blow. I don't want a lot, I want just enough. So why has it got to be so damn tough? Although as a teenager listening to Ill Communication, I was more familiar with DJ Jazzy Jeff in the Fresh Prince's Charlie Mack. He
0: can bench about 300 pounds. The cops all take on vacation when Charlie's in town. He's the toughest around, so everywhere that I go, he
2: goes. He's Charlie Mack and he's the first out the limo.
1: But as it turns out, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince were sampling Curtis Blow, just like the Beastie Boys. And one of my favorite lyrics in the song is when MCA rhymes, I took a sledgehammer and I broke my nine. So on this album, not only does MCA address the Beastie Boys' misogynistic past, but he also talks about doing away with guns. So let us move on to track number 18, Shambhala. This is a this is a good zone out song. Like if you're on a, a long car ride, you can just kinda you don't want to turn your brain off because you could get into a car accident. But this, you know, just very hypnotic. And a, a nice break too. Let's let's listen to this song as it swells to a break. And the, the chanting of the monks leads nicely into this one, number 19, Barasattva Vow. So the story behind this song is that in 1993, MCA attended a teaching by the Dalai Lama. And a Bodhisattva Vow is a Buddhist vow to attain supreme enlightenment for the sake of all beings. So within this song... MCA tries to capture that essence. Uh, he said he kind of winged it on the song, and then he also fessed up that most people spend a lifetime refining the Bodhisattva vow. He heard the Dalai Lama speak in 1993. A year later, it's a song on a Beastie Boys album. But we all understand that MCA was trying to get to a better place, and he was very sincere in doing so. And sadly, that will bring us to the end of Ill Communication, Transitions. You know, this is a a, a nice little fade out. In between Check Your Head and Ill Communication, MCA got a stand-up bass. We hear it on this song. Uh, You also hear this track on the in-sounds from Way Out the uh, Beastie Boys instrumental compilation album. And you know, this is it. This is how Ill Communication comes to a close. And if you were listening on tape, once again, like I was, after this song, you would just flip the tape over and bug out again to Short Shot. So let's take a break. And when we come back on this Beastie Boys Ill Communication Silver Anniversary Special... Let's talk about Ill Communication's videos, artwork, and lasting legacy.
0: We looked at the last album we made, and we went in and we made exactly the same record. That's not true. Slash played a lead guitar, lead guitar solo, but he was all the way on Sunset so we weren't able to modem it in. That's not true.
1: We are back on the official, unofficial Beastie Boys Ill Communication Silver Anniversary Special. And you just heard two clips of uh, commercials that ran on MTV prior to Ill Communication being released on May 31st. And I I think there was another clip, too, where Ad-Rock was riffing on Vanilla Ice's famous quote. Our song goes dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And then at the end, there's the tagline, that's not true. Uh, So let's wrap this up on the Silver Anniversary Ill Communication special. First of all, let's talk about the title, Ill Communication. Does it come from the Beastie Boys? Does it come from Q-Tip? You hear it a couple times on the album. You also hear those Mob Bell references. Uh, Whatever the case, I love the title because it's a throwback to License to Ill. So now in the Beastie Boys canon, you have two albums that have Ill in their title. As I said before, Ill Communication was produced by Mario C. He worked on Paul's Boutique. He produced Check Your Head, produced Ill Communication, and then he would go on to produce Hello Nasty. And going back, he did three good ones. Three great ones. Three of the best ones? I don't know. Discuss amongst yourselves. Uh, This album... Was groundbreaking for Beastie Boys fans because it was the first time in their history where they didn't change. You could even go back to Polywogs too. So you've got punk rock, then you've got license to ill with old school rap. The the sample heavy masterpiece, Paul's Boutique, Beastie Boys make another left turn by picking up their instruments and going crazy on Check Your Head. This is the first time where the Beastie Boys stuck with the formula. And it was also great because I think it was the first time where we got a new Beastie Boys album in just two years. Remember we had to wait four years for Hello Nasty and then six years for To the Five Burrows? So these were good times for Beastie Boys fans. And they were good times for the Beastie Boys because this was their first number one album since License to Ill. And it established the Beastie Boys as an arena act again. So they did arenas for License to Ill. They didn't even tour off of Paul's Boutique. They basically started over with Check Your Head. And by the time 1994 rolled around, the musical climate was perfect. The Beastie Boys had found their formula. They have a number one album, and they're playing arenas again. And because I am a fan of art... Right now, I'd like to talk about the artwork for ill communication. So if you take out your album or your tape or your CD booklet and you open it up, there's that picture of the tree and it, it splits in half. On one side, you have pollution. On the other side, you have Mother Nature. Originally, MCA wanted that to be the cover art for ill communication. And he was, uh, I guess, voted out by the rest of the Beastie Boys and Ad-Rock chooses that Bruce Davidson photo that you see on the front. And he actually talks about it in the issue of Juxtapose magazine, which came out in 2013. And and I'll read that right now. Uh, Ad Rock says, It was on Capitol, but through Grand Royal. We had already come up with the name of the album, and I was really inspired by the Charles Watts and the 103rd Street Band album with a girl on the cover who has pinwheel eyes. I loved Bruce Davidson and had a book with his photos. I thought if we could have the shot of the guy talking into the intercom at the drive thru with pinwheels for eyes, that would be awesome. I wanted a black and white picture with colored pinwheels. But Bruce said no to the pinwheels and time was running out. It's a great picture regardless. As for the inner sleeve and Alex Gray's Gaia, hold on, I'm turning the page right now, Gaia painting, Yauk loved this. I thought it was bold. It is really different from the front. We were in different headspaces at the time. The captain, our tour manager, was a draftsman for an architect. He had the most immaculate handwriting and hand-wrote all the lyrics on the inside. And you guys know the font he's talking about. That's the font that you also see on the front of Ill Communication. So like Ad Rock says... Bruce Davidson is responsible for the picture on the front, and he also is interviewed in this issue of Juxtapose magazine. So Bruce Davidson is asked, where did that image you took at the drive-in, the Beastie Boys cover, come from? Was that a singular moment or part of something else? Bruce says it was called Tiny Nailer's Drive-In, and I don't think it exists anymore. Uh, The interviewer asks, tell me about that day. Were you walking around taking photos? Bruce says, Esquire sent me to Los Angeles. I had not really known Los Angeles, and it was 1964 when that picture was made. L.A. was dismal, you know, heavily polluted and culturally very weak, if that makes sense. Um, I didn't drive much, but walked around, and I came up upon a tiny nailers and just took a picture. Just one shot. I didn't go up to him at all. What drew you to this guy? It was just a moment. I mean, it looked like he was swallowing the microphone. Those drive-in mics are hard to talk into. Right, I mean, imagine what they sounded like. There was an irony in almost all of the photographs that I made at that time, a kind of desperate irony. Then I came back with the prints. I'd stay up all night printing them and then submit them to the magazine the next day or so. They didn't understand what they were about and gave them back to me. It became an unpublished body of work until a number of years later. And then the interviewer asks, and one of them finds their way onto the cover of a record album. Seemed to fit the bill. It had something to say about the music or the musicians. It's visual music. It especially, and this is the interviewer once again, it especially relates because he's holding this odd speaker thing or whatever that ordering apparatus was. Bill says, I will tell you this. To be honest, the Beastie Boys obviously chose the photograph, and then someone, I don't know who it was, I don't think one of them, probably a PR guy, called and said, We'd like to run a picture on the cover. I said I have to hear the music first. I said that to him. I mean, I'm not music at all. I don't go much beyond Bach, you know? Anyway, they sent me a little tape of the music, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. It was like a secret language. I couldn't understand it. It was beyond the realm of my experience. So I called them back and said, the music's great. You can use the picture. Uh, The interviewer says, that's hilarious. Could you see yourself doing anything else? Oh, yes. I've always wanted to be a baseball player. And there's one more story about the artwork. Guess who was not happy with it? The man they call Glenn E. Friedman. He also didn't like the original cover photo for Check Your Head. So when he was visiting his mother in November of 1991, he said to the Beast Boys, let's go out and do a photo shoot. So they go out with their instruments, they do a photo shoot, Glenn E. Friedman captures magic and we get that iconic Check Your Head cover photo. So he wanted to swoop in at the 11th hour again and get another Beastie Boys album cover. And we had Glennie Friedman on the Bruhaha a few years ago and let him tell the story.
2: They told me what they were doing and they had different ideas. I said, you know, and once again they told me, oh, it's too late, Glenn, you know, we've already got something. But I was going to, you know, try and overwhelm them in the way that I did with Check Your Head. I went out that night. I said, look, Mike told me, they're making the final decision tomorrow. I got to do something tonight. I, I asked a friend of mine and I said, I need you to help me. I mean, it was literally like 10 o'clock in the evening where I said, okay, I got to do this. So I had a concept in my head of, you know, the name of the album is ill communication. And there were a couple of different shots. The one shot that I, we made a, a comp, you know, a little dummy of how the album cover should look. Mm-hmm. And they liked it. But in the end, I think just because of where Yalke was at that period in his life, he, was, he thought it looked a little too violent um, because, you know, it, it, there, was, there was a couple of different images, but the one that we ultimately made a uh, you know, fake album out of for them to look at was, uh, was, an, was a photograph that I took of someone slamming a telephone down. So I've got this shot taken from underneath the phone booth, uh, down on the subway platform, at the Brooklyn Bridge Station and and the, and the wire got all blurry and the person's blurry and it looks really really cool it's a really great shot for Ill Communication I did and it appears in my book called The Idealist and there's some places it might be, appear online but in my book The Idealist it's titled Ill Communication and I actually have that photograph and what I meant to be the back cover uh, photograph is also on that same spread but in the end, they never used it. You know, they thought, you know, they almost got over the point that it looked a little bit, you know, wild. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that the excitement of it and the intensity was really important. I, thought, I, I still to this day, think, uh, no question, it was a better cover than what they went with. But I think the thing that really sealed the deal from them, for them was that the guy who I was using, they asked, by the way, who is that? Now, if I didn't tell you who was the model in the photograph, you wouldn't know you you couldn't tell because it was blurry he had a uh, a a wool hat on uh, you know he's wearing my brooklyn dust jacket and i knew they didn't really like this guy at the time guy was you know he was a seamster and he was just a hustler you know he was just a hustler and he was a, you know i kind of saw him as a you know as a, you know, little brother, and just, a, a, I like the kid. He I, I didn't have a problem with him. I mean, I didn't like everything he did, but uh, but I certainly didn't have a problem with him, and I considered him a friend, and I do to this day.
1: Are you allowed to say who it was?
2: I can tell you who it was, yeah. Okay, who was it? Know. Yeah. Uh, he's now a world-famous movie director who started out making, uh, you know, music videos. Hadn't done a video yet at the time that I used them, um, to do that and he had helped me he had held my camera bag a couple times here in New York on occasion I think once for a Slick Rick photo session and once for uh, LL Cool J uh, photo session album cover for 14 Shots of the Dome um, I believe that he helped me on those but all the again an assistant for me is just watching and make sure my camera doesn't get you know nicked right. uh, it was Brett Ratner
1: <laughs> see I think well, you know, but, but Glenn is an honest man, but maybe he should have said, I don't know, it's just some kid in the sock cap. I don't know who it is. So because it was Brett Ratner, he did not get to be the cover boy. So who knows? Maybe if it was an unknown kid, maybe the BC Boys still go with that Bruce Davidson photo. But, uh, but I don't hate on that Bruce Davidson photo. I like it because there's some ill communication going on, and it has that L.A. vibe, and even though the Beastie Boys were slowly working their way back to New York, to me, this is still an L.A. G-Sun album. So let's talk about the singles for Ill Communication. There's Sabotage, Get It Together, although it's it's sort of a weird single because, I guess, I mean, it does have the Get It Together maxi-single, And then if you went to certain record stores and you were looking for the CD or cassette single, there was the Sabotage slash Get It Together single. Um, Because it didn't have a music video, I think we don't really officially think of Get It Together as a single, but it was. So you've got Sabotage, Get It Together, Shore Shot, and Root Down. And talk about an embarrassment of riches off of this album. Uh, Keep in mind we got some old bullshit In February of 94. Then we get Ill Communication. We get the Get It Together Sabotage maxi-single. The Sure Shot maxi-single. And then a year later, we get the Root Down EP. So Sabotage is the first music video that we see from Ill Communication. And it changes the game for the Beastie Boys. It's considered one of the best music videos of the 1990s. It makes... Spike Jones, even though Spike Jones has made a whole bunch of great music videos, I think that uh, Cannonball a year before and Buddy Holly from Weezer also in 1994 just makes Spike Jones the most sought after director in the business. And the concept, if you look at some old Sabotage promo shots, MCA and Mike D are in their 70s gear, but Ad Rock has a crew cut. So I think originally, the Beastie Boys just wanted to dress up and take some pictures. And after that photo shoot, they thought, hmm, we could expand on this concept. We could make the video like it's the beginning of a 70s cop TV show. And that's what they did. They busted out the wigs. Everybody had a character. Shout out to Bobby the Rookie, Nathan Wind, Alessandro Alegre action sequences, and by the end of the decade, it's considered one of the best music videos of the 1990s, if not of all time. You remember, when the Beastie Boys were doing their 70s thing for Paul's Boutique, nobody got it. But 1994, like the Three Little Bears, it was just right. What a great music video, huh? But you know what's an even better music video? In my opinion, Sure Shot. I've said this before. I just love when the Beastie Boys are mugging for the camera. And to me, this is like So What You Want, Part 2. So when So What You Want, the Beastie Boys are in the woods and now they make their way out of the woods into the casino and into the streets of LA and Las Vegas. So good. I mean, I probably have seen Sure Shot more than sabotage. When they're wearing their tuxedos and they're just coolly walking through the casino? Come on, man! I mean, they're both all-time great music videos. And then Root Down is the final music video from Ill Communication, directed by Evan Bernard he had his camera going at Lollapalooza 1994. And this video always excited me because I remember exactly what the Beastie Boys were wearing the first time I saw them live. And then when I saw the footage on the Root Down music video, I said, yes, that's them in Columbus, Ohio. That's when I saw the Beastie Boys. And then Evan Bernard mixes in all of that old school footage of graffiti artists and break dancers. And whew, that's a good one too. And it's amazing to think that Nathaniel Hornblower does not direct a music video off of Ill Communication. Should have done one for Get It Together. I guess it was hard enough for them to get Q-Tip to be on a song, let alone get him to be in a music video. So we get some great music videos off of Ill Communication, which really helped promote the album. And then let's talk about the legacy of Ill Communication 25 years later. I talk to a lot of Beastie Boys fans all the time. And I always ask them, Hey, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite album? When you talk about albums, you've got a ton of people that say License to Ill. I like my old school Beastie Boys. That's the best. Nuff said. And then you've got a ton of people that say Paul's Boutique. It's the greatest album of all time. Not just the greatest Beastie Boys album. And then there's people like me who say, Nah, man. Check your head. That's the best Beastie Boys album. And then in the past few years, and even reading the Beastie Boys book, you've got a lot of people who say, Hello Nasty is the best Beastie Boys album. Ad-Rock says it's the best Beastie Boys album. Rarely do you hear anyone say, Ill Communication is the best Beastie Boys album. But, you could argue, and, and I would definitely listen to the argument, that it is. I mean, think about it. To me, it's slightly more commercial-friendly than Check Your Head. You've got four huge singles off of Ill Communication. You go to Check Your Head, you've got two big singles. You've got So What You Want and Pass the Mic. And yes, Gratitude is a single. Was it a huge single? No. But Sabotage, Sure Shot, Get It Together, and Root Down, those four songs have their stamp on the mid-1990s. And you could even say that ill communication is more refined than check your head. One could even argue that check your head was a dress rehearsal and ill communication was the fine-tuned real thing. Because like we said, the Beastie Boys, they found their formula and they stuck with it, which they had never ever done before. And a lot of people will say, well, Ill Communications, Just Check Your Head, Part 2. And even Mike D says that in the commercial. But the Beastie Boys, I think, they found their true voice, and for the first time, it felt like the Beastie Boys were truly in sync with their fans, and both they and us were having a ton of fun. And it hit in the perfect year, 1994. It still may be my favorite year of music ever. I mean, you could argue about, you know, years in the 70s or the 80s. I mean, 1991 was a great year in music, but I think in 1994, we just had so much variety in all genres of music, and keep in mind, this was like the the third year of Lollapalooza, so kids were used to mixing rap and rock and funk and all these different genres. So I think if Ill Communication comes out in 91 or 92, it doesn't hit as hard as it does in 94, with the build-up two years prior from Check Your Head. So I ask you this today, is Ill Communication the best Beastie Boys album? Check Your Head, Check Your Head, still my favorite, because that's the one that got me onto the Beastie train, but I will tell you this, I have probably listened to Ill Communication more than any other Beastie Boys album, and you can look at my tape if you don't believe me. So that will do it for the uh, official, unofficial, Beastie Boys 25th Anniversary Ill Communication Special. So do yourself a favor today, on May 31st, 2019, get your green tape or your green CD. Did they release Ill Communication on green vinyl? I'm not sure. And and you guys are probably going to stream today. But let's kick it old school. Get a hard copy of Ill Communication, press play, and listen to the Beastie Boys rip it at the top of their game. Happy 25th silver anniversary to Ill Communication. Until next time, my name is Jim Shear, and I will see yins later. Ah!